Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. You know when the grass is being cut and fresh cut grass has a very sharp green note, right? This scent had a particular green note on it that just cut through the smell of tobacco. Yes, we're working with gaming, but also you have people from marketing who want to have their say on, I think, or that is this track or that track. Mm -hmm. Then you have people from events. Well, I, I mean, I've got questions too, but Colin, I know better than to stand in the way of the trucking goal. For me. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're in real danger because Colin is genuinely excited by this. Hi, this is Colin, and I wanted to ask you a favor. It would really help Ryan and I if you could spend a moment and complete a review of the podcast. Positive reviews help us get out to more people, and we love hearing from our listeners and seeing what people have written. So please, just take a moment and complete a review. Thanks very much for your help. So Ryan, on the show today, we have with us Simon Forfield. And Simon and I have met over LinkedIn. Uh, Hi, Simon. How are you? Hi. Good evening. I'm very well, Colin. Good. Simon and I um, met over LinkedIn, and he's in an absolutely fascinating area, and an area that I believe is underestimated by most organizations. And Simon looks at particularly sound and, and smell as part of the customer experience. We are fortunate. I convinced Simon it would be a good idea to come along and, and, and talk on the show. Does that sound reasonable, Ryan? I did say that you may not turn up, which it seemed to attract him for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> it often does. I rarely improve <laughs> anything. Uh, Simon, I'm so delighted to have you here. I've, I've been so excited to talk to you ever since Colin told me that you were coming on. Welcome. Lovely. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Simon, maybe start off by just introducing yourself a bit more. Who are you and what do you do? Okay, so my name's Simon Fourfield. I'm the CEO of Equal Strategy, and we're an experienced design consultancy based in Singapore. And fundamentally, we help large organizations, whether they're locally or so globally, to use sound and scent in a strategic way to help their customers fall in love with their brands and ultimately have an amazing experience interacting with those brands as and where we can make it sound and smell beautiful. Good. And as I said, I I really believe that this is an area that is underestimated by businesses. So maybe let's dive straight into it. Can you give us some examples of what you're talking about? Because I guess people are sitting there going, well, what does he mean sound and smell? Does that mean, you know, I just need to to get on some more deodorant or what what do I need to do? Well, I think where we started with sound was primarily looking at contact centers and the telephone as a key customer touch point, but brands were spending a lot of money on traditional media and at the bottom of the advert had this call to action, call this number. Yet when you dialed that number and what you experienced when you were placed on hold 
often was Kenny G or Ding Dong Ding Dong music, which didn't really tie in with how that company was presenting itself in the advert and how they're trying to position themselves and differentiate themselves from their competitors. And that's really where we started helping people start to use sound in a in a more strategic way, but also creating a more pleasant experience. How in the hell do you go about going, here's a brand of a company, what type of music represents that? Interesting question, because this isn't something that's written in textbooks at university. Yeah. And we've taken always taken a step back from the brand more about trying to understand it that if it was a person what would the personality of that brand be how would it interact with people how would it want people to walk away from a conversation or interaction and then reflect upon that person and that very much comes back into brand positioning so where you have brands that have their values and missions is very generic. It doesn't give us that real meat that we're after. But when we get into the positioning and how they're trying to connect with certain segments of the market, then that's where you can start to map in music that fits in and reflects that positioning within that market space. So, for example, if you were a a five-star hotel, now five-star hotels go from ultra hip and cool funky properties like w hotels and if you go to the opposite end of the spectrum you have very much of the classic hotel that tends to be playing classical music and jazz and so really when we're trying to look into those different segments and they have different types of clientele and so if you go into w it's very hip it's cool it's contemporary it's funky it's got a very high energy level so there you could be looking to use music that projects all of those elements whereas your traditional old school five-star hotel, the classic type, they are very discerning and it's very classic in in the way that they behave and present themselves and very elegant. So therefore, you need to be using music that also conveys those attributes. Ryan, jump in, mate. I'm just conscious that, uh, as usual, I'm coming up with 50 million questions, basically. Well, I, I mean, I've got questions too, but Colin, I know better than to stand in the way of the trucking goal. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're in real danger because Colin is genuinely excited by this. I am. He can, he can tell. He can tell. No, it's fascinating. This is amazing. So the question I was going to ask, notice I haven't let Ryan ask you a question. <laughs> <laughs> we all have our roles to play, Colin. It's <laughs> so is there any sort of science around why music and sound is so important. I mean, maybe that sounds a bit silly given that we've only got five senses and sound is one of them. And I know we will get on and talk about the smell side of things, but is there any science around around that? I think there's. we are drowning information out there from scientific behavioural research into the impacts of or the influence of sound on human behaviour. So I think... Firstly, we need to take a step back and realize that sound is primal. Even before we were born, we were familiar to the heartbeat and rhythm of our mother's heartbeat. Yeah, good point. And when that baby's delivered, what do they do? They don't come out and say, hi, I'm here. There's a big burst of uh, they're crying. It's very expressive. And that, that's where that journey starts. I think you're right. And thinking about it, I mean, they, they talk about the different baby cries, don't they? And being able to understand the different 
and interpret between those different uh, different baby cries and that as as well. They can also be pulling your leg and trying to manipulate you to get you to come and give them attention opposed to crying in pain. Yes, no, absolutely. I still have that problem with my daughter and she's 15 now. <laughs> <laughs> and it's you that's crying now, is it? Yes. She's smart enough to have figured it out. <laughs> I'm not an expert in the research on some of these other non-visual senses, but I, I have been exposed to a little bit of it. There are kind of two, maybe two categories of, of effects you might expect. Some of them I would call more direct. So, you know, you hear a song or that you're familiar with, or there's a set of sounds that that are you're familiar with. And so that has that kind of this direct, effective response on you. You know, you like the song or you like the sounds. There's also this, this whole area of secondary effects where, for instance sense can help you remember things better. They seem to mm. to help you encode memories better. Sound and scent can both pull up non-conscious memories and associations, and those can also influence you. So when you, Simon, when you are, are designing, say, a soundscape for a company, how often are you pulling from things that people would be familiar with? So you do, do you create a song list of popular songs, or how often are you developing new sounds from scratch and kind of what are your guiding principles when you do something like that ultimately when we're looking at sound within a space there's a range of different reference points that we work to and it's about 15 different points so one is we can be looking at behavior music or sound subconsciously influences our behavior so for example if you went for a jog and you put swan lake on your iPhone, you wouldn't be jogging very quickly. However, if you had some music that had a very high BPM, beats per minute, let's say, for example, you're going to put some uh, some drum and bass or some techno on, you would be running significantly quicker than if you were listening to Swan Lake. And that's because the subconsciously the body will sync itself to the rhythm and the speed of the music. When we look at a space that we're designing a soundscape for, primarily we're looking at what's the desired behavior we want to achieve in this space. Do we want people to relax to unwind? Do we want them to be energized? Do we want them bouncing off the wall? Or do we want to put them to sleep? So there's a whole range that we want to predetermine how we want them to behave because then we can map in the beats per minute of the music and the energy level to fit that desired behavior and all of a sudden we have people moving the right way within that space and this is before we get into the emotional aspects of music so just for example giving talking about music tempo there's quite a famous study that was carried about 20 30 years ago by some mba students in a supermarket and they wanted to find out what the effect of music tempo was in a store and so they compared no music in the store to low tempo music versus high tempo music. And they ran these tests over a couple of weeks. And what they also did is they measured what the revenue taken was taken each day in the store. And they also tracked the number of people who came in, the speed that they moved around the store, how many items they purchased, and they really drilled down into the details. And what they found after running this study was that 
in a supermarket environment, the difference in revenue playing no music to high tempo music, I think it varied between three to five percent difference in revenue. However, when they played low tempo music, revenue increased by over 38 percent. Mm-hmm. And that's quite a significant difference. So then they thought, okay, that can't be right. Let's go back and look into the data. And what they found was that when they were playing low tempo music, people were actually had actually were slowing down and walking through the store more slowly. And when they're in this more relaxed state, they tend to be more curious and inquisitive. And then they started looking at more items and they actually became more impulsive and purchased more items. And so when they went to check out, they'd spent more money because they basically filled the, uh, the, the trolley. So that just gives you an example of how music tempo can have a difference. But if you were going to be a funky hotel and or you were going to be a wine bar, then music would probably have to be flipped around the other way around because in a wine bar, they want to be having a more vibrant energy because then it's more fun. So it really comes into what that space is about, what's the desired behavior, and then how can we use music just from tempo, speed of the music. And, that, and I'm not even talking about whether that was Cafe Del Mar or Swan Lake. That's just looking at music tempo and how that had that impact. How many dimensions do you kind of plan on when you're looking at that? So tempo is obviously one, but as you said, there's also then the specifics of the songs itself. Like, do you have a checklist that you work through when you're trying to decide these things or, or a framework that you use? It goes quite a bit deeper than that because then we want to be thinking about let's talk about the brand and where we have the brand is how do we want the brand to be perceived so how do we want what sort of mood do we want within the space as well so not behavior you can have people who relax but you can may you may want to put them to sleep if you were a spa but you may, it may be a hotel lounge where you want them to be relaxed, but you still want to have a degree of, of energy. So we can start to work with all of these different elements in music and be looking at different parts of, of music. So, for example, we had a client, which is the Pan Pacific Hotel Group, and they have properties all around the Pacific Ocean. So Seattle, San Francisco, Australia, Singapore, Thailand, Bali and Indonesia up to up to China and when they came to us with the brand description they were okay we're a five-star hotel we're not stuffy so we're not like a St Regis or a Shangri-La we're contemporary we've got a client profile of 30 to 55 they're international well-traveled and so when we were sort of working on this matrix for this client we then wanted to use we identified the tempo that we wanted for people to be in the public areas, in the lobby lounge, where they're able to be relaxing but not put to sleep. We knew because it's a contemporary property, we needed to be using a music genre that wasn't old-fashioned. So Kenny G was out of the window, and we ended up with a more of a sort of a contemporary down-tempo lounge concept. But then for the brand... It had uh, different properties around the Pacific Ocean. So then we used 
tracks that are in the lounge genre, but then that had instruments that represented those different destinations. Mm-hmm. And so even though you'd have some nice lounge playing, there may be a track that had some didgeridoo that represented Australia. Then you may have had a, something, another track that had more oriental Chinese elements within it. And this way, these are just different accents of the brand that we're using to communicate through the music. Yeah, fascinating. Is there any way then, Simon, that you measure the effect of these? I guess you could turn around and go, well, we'll as, as you talked about in the store, you know, let's put the tempo in, let's change the tempo different weeks and all the rest of it. But is there any way that this gets measured at all? Ultimately, what we've seen is the visionaries of the properties of the brand know that this is how it needs to be. It's very much more of the, the Steve Jobs model in the sense of, right, this fits what we're trying to do here, let's implement it, as opposed to let's push it out there, let's get feedback, and let the customer call the shots because the customer may not always be your ideal customer who you really want. And so if you're taking that feedback from someone who isn't really your target customer, then that skews up, I think, what you're doing. So our approach is always let's design it and fit it around what we have as a brief, going through the process that we have, and we'll be able to get it right this way. I mean, we had another interesting project was for Marina Bay Sands in Singapore. So that's one of the most profitable casinos in the world. And when I was asked to design the music concepts for the casino, that became quite interesting because there we had a quite a dynamic customer base in that space. So you have people who are probably, I think we're 60, 70% Asian. And then when you look at Asian, then you can segment that across the different languages and the origins, whether they're from China or Taiwan or Hong Kong, or Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia. So they all have different musical preferences. Plus also you have people from the West in there. Plus we also have different age ranges, people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. So from a behavior, we wanted people to be in there and to have fun and to be happy. And so we had no Celine Dion, (laughs) we didn't want any tracks that were downers that made people feel unhappy you didn't have the gambler by kenny rogers or something like that no no two on the nose (laughs) calm two on the nose (laughs) that that would work in the us (laughs) and so you know primarily we want music that people connect with that they're familiar with that is going to be positive and upbeat but at the same time not too extremely off the wall, nor do we want it to have any form of negativity about it. I I had that task then of, this is how I want people to feel. This is the the demographic profiler of of the people within that space. And so basically we thought, right, we want people to be familiar with the music. So, right, we need to work within, within the top 40s, okay? And the music library we're working with, we've got access to every track in the top 40 from the night since it started in something like 1952 or 53 including the billboard 100 so it was then looking at each decade and going right let's take the 
tracks that then fit our pro music profile. So we did that for the West, Western music, and then we also did it for, for Asia. And most of the people in the casinos speak Mandarin from the Asians. And so when we look at the hierarchy of music in Asia, the Mandarin music that comes out of Taiwan tends to be seen as the more edgy, funky, independent type. And this is something that enabled them to connect with people without them feeling outdated or old-fashioned. So even though it could have been a track from the 60s, it was seen as what would have been perceived as a funky, cool track at that time. Then we had to sort of mix the tracks up that we wouldn't have five English tracks playing and then maybe 10 Chinese. We needed to have it that very much you may have had two English, then an Asian, then an English, then an Asian. Plus then we didn't want two tracks from the same decade playing next to each other. So that took some time to get right and to sort of get that programmed and sure. with the, you know, the technology we use on the back end. So it isn't just a, a case of let's go buy our 10 favorite CDs and pop them in the 10-disc multi-changer. When you get into music programming, we're trying to please and create that right connection across a dynamic range of profiles and we found that that seemed to be the way to do it in the sense of in the gaming they really do drill down on the numbers and if something doesn't work they pull the plug on it very quickly we didn't have to change our music we didn't have to change our formula to the music good excellent how many hours did you come up with i mean this sounds like a very hands-on process for you or yes hand selecting each track was the result 12 hours of music or was it 48 or Three, significantly more. We ended up, now also one of the challenges with this client is because, yes, we're working with gaming, but also you have people from marketing who want to have their say on, I think, or that is this track or that track. Mm-hmm. And you had people from events. So we were at one point getting different sorts of feedback. And so we arranged to have a meeting with, I think I had seven VPs in this room And we all went through and we reviewed 800 tracks, (laughs) right? And we we had to score them on three different metrics, each track. And then we used that as a way to get everyone to agree that these are the tracks that are played. Wow. Incredible. That is incredible. How are you going to grow your market when everyone is competing on the same things? What are your customers' unmet needs in your market? What drives and destroys most value for you? And what are you going to do first? Since 2005, we've been helping organizations answer these questions. Our unique discovery tool, the Emotional Signature, will change the way that you look at your market. Let's have an informal conversation on how we may be able to help you. To set this up, simply go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash contact. And we look forward to talking to you. What about from a smell side of things and then sort of designing that into your experience then? That feels a little more difficult for me. Music's one thing. I can absolutely buy into the whole music bit and you can turn around and go, this is this person's this age and uh, therefore they're likely to like this type of music, blah, blah, blah. 
but smell is such a such a different thing isn't it seems like we we even lack the language to talk about smell in the same way like you can you can talk about an up-tempo beat and everybody knows what you're talking about but you know how do you even explain to, to clients what the strategy is going to be and you know, what are the dimensions or the words they use well this gets gets a few funny looks firstly when we talk about behavior we we categorize it as whether it's high arousal or or low arousal when we think of sound and scent and how they seem very different senses, the two work very closely hand in hand together. And what you'll actually find is if the arousal qualities of what you hear and what you smell are aligned, they work in a compounded way more effectively together. There are high arousal scents and low arousal scents? Yep. I had no idea. That's fascinating. If you have challenges trying to get to sleep at night, sometimes you hear people saying, oh, you should use vanilla or lavender. It's very soothing and relaxing. There you have your low arousal. And if you're driving up the M1 and you're having a long drive, sometimes you'll, you'll want to have, um, remember you see when I was in England, what those are extra strong mints. And if you're feeling a little bit sleepy and you pop one of those in your mouth, next thing you're virtually bouncing off the ceiling. So that's got has peppermint in it. And so peppermint, if you had a peppermint scent, that is the opposite of using a low arousal, it's high arousal. So if you walked into a room that had peppermint diffused in there, you would be so wide awake, it'd be unreal. That's crazy. So maybe you could give us a sort of a case study on on it then, because I, I was just about to say, well, so I guess that would be a good one. Peppermint would be a good one to have in a casino because you want people all awake and not on edge, but alive, basically. What we've ended up doing in casinos or using in casinos, casinos in Singapore are the only buildings you're allowed to smoke indoors. And what the research found in the casino industry is that the gaming tables where people can smoke, make significantly more money than non-smoking tables. And I think you'll find this is the same in the UK, that if you go into a casino, very often you can, the smoking tables will have far more action than the non-smoking tables. So the environmental challenge in casinos then is the smell of tobacco, because a lot of people don't like it. So we actually have a scent that eliminates the smell of tobacco. and we were working with one of the high-end casinos up in Malaysia, Gunting Highlands, for over 10 years where all of their high-end gaming spaces, we diffused this particular scent that had a, it was a beautiful oriental scent, but it had a, had, a, had a particular note in it. So even though it's floral, you know when the grass is being cut and fresh cut grass has a very sharp green note, right? This scent had a particular green note on it that just cut through the smell of tobacco. And so when we installed in the first casino, which was gigantic, I think it had about 90 tables and the ceiling was like four stories high. So it was a real big, it was a monster of a project. We installed the system, we got it running. And the next day I sat in a meeting with the management team and there's this lady in Chusick saying, oh, yes, my uh, my husband, you know, normally when he comes home from work, 
because he he works for the same casino firm. She said when, when he takes his jacket off and he puts it on the the table on the chair at the table, you know, it stinks like an ashtray. But you know when he came home last night, it didn't smell. Hmm. Right, and that was a benefit I never thought of people really appreciating in that sense. So how do you go about? I'm now again just trying to get sort of practical on this. And when I say practical, you know, you can imagine in a casino, but what about if I'm a supermarket or something like that and I'm going, what do I want my company to smell like? I mean, that that just seems the right thing to do, don't get me wrong, but difficult to achieve because if you can't sort of equate a brand where you can equate a brand to a to the piece of music and you've, you've taught us how but how do i do that with the smell walmart ran some tests in the u.s a number of years ago and when they put green apple scent where they were selling green apples people weren't buying them in, in the ones or twos but significantly more and so you can use scent as a way to trigger behavior like a craving. So that's why allegedly Starbucks, some of the Starbucks stores use a scent diffuser. This is the rumor in the industry because all their coffee beans are vacuum sealed. So there shouldn't be a scent. Correct. Interesting. (laughs) But when you smell coffee, or if you're walking past a coffee shop and, and you smell, you know, the freshly ground coffee, all of a sudden you go, I fancy coffee. Same with bakeries. Imagine going to a barbecue and, and seeing all the food cooking and going, sorry, that doesn't do anything to me. You can't turn the nose off. And the sense of smell is the only sense that's directly connected to the brain center for memory and emotions. And so it's also unfiltered. You can't ignore your nose. And I think one of the most unpleasant times I've experienced that was I was on a flight and someone had been ill in the sick bag on the flight and they just travel down the through the plane that's i think one of the worst smells that you can experience and you can't just turn your nose off yet at the flip that round the other way you can be walking down the road or walking through a shop and if a lady walks past with a beautiful perfume and you go wow that's, that's lovely that's a instantaneous response it's unfiltered you don't think about it it's immediately how you feel and so you can use scent in several ways For example, like Walmart with the fresh green apple, you may be in the sun tanning oil aisle and ombre solaire may have ombre solaire scent diffusing and suntan oil and all of a sudden you know what that smell is and that pulls you to the product. So it's also about getting attention. Now you're saying that actually, the one that I I think everybody will relate to is coconut oil. That's it. And it just reminds you of going down down the beach, basically. But also, there was a there was a nightclub in London a number of years ago. They ran a test diffusing coconut, and all the Malibu sales went up by three four hundred percent. Wow! <laughs> Incredible. This is without even getting into the into the branding element of it. So that's using very simple scent concepts. Whereas what we do when we're designing for our clients and for brands is we work with one of the the top perfume houses and so we very much are using fragrance concepts that contain up to 45 ingredients and so on one hand when we have these 
sophisticated blends is that we're able to use top notes that could be citrus or peppermint that can you walk into a space and you immediately feel that refreshing sensation so imagine out here in asia we have about 95 percent humidity so when you're outside and when you walk into an aircon building the fact that it's nice and cool inside has a nice refreshing feel but by also having citrus or peppermint which is high arousal as a top note we're able to create that immediate fresh wow upliftingness okay and because we're using blends of up to 45 ingredients we're able to play around with different notes at the, at the top in the middle and at the base because what happens when we're playing with the base notes is there we can have a scent that we want to make people feel relaxed so we can have a vanilla base but at the same time we can still have citrus on the top so you can have a a conflicting behavioral scent but it means that you can walk into a space you can feel refreshed but after you've been in there for 10-15 minutes you don't notice the top notes anymore because the brain will switch off to them after a while but then you'll find that the vanilla the bottom notes which has a more of a lingering presence then has that behavioral calming effect that you may want in that space and so we're able to play around with different elements at different levels to create different behaviors. So Simon, this has really been fascinating. I could carry on talking to you for for a while. I'm sure people are listening to this and thinking to themselves, what sound should I have? What music should I have? How do I define the scent for us, um, you know, as an organization? For somebody listening to this, what recommendations have you got for them? How, how can people go away and do something? I think first people need to go away. They need to look at their spaces. They need to look at the brand and they need to think about ultimately what, what are they trying to create? What are the objectives? Because once they know what they want, then when they come and speak with us, then we're able to help show them the way forward. And I, I think something else just to bear in mind as well is that music now is so much more accessible for businesses um, through simple offerings to fully professionally compiled offerings. And even with, with scent that you can even go to some of the basic shops and you can buy essential oil setups that if your staff are a bit sleepy in the office go and buy one of those water-based essential oil burners and use some, drop in some peppermint. So you've got a very quick, easy way to make them more alert, more productive, and will do their job far better. And that, that's actually all scientifically proven. So there's heaps of research out there. So they can just Google away at that. Great. Uh, Ryan, what are your takeaways? Just been fascinating. I think... You know, I'll tie it back to some of the ideas that we talk about in the podcast a lot. The idea that that we've got these non-conscious processes that are always running in the background, always processing information, visual information, but then also the sense that we are coming in contact with, the sounds that we hear, the, the things that we touch, the haptics, all of those things are inputs and our automatic system is processing those bits of information in the same way. So it's still, it's pulling up memories and feelings and associations based on that stimuli in the same way that it would based on something that we see or that we, you know, conversations that we hear, words that we hear. So 
this is a part of your customer's experience. So are you treating it deliberatively or are we, you know, I was taken with Simon's first example about call centers. How often does management, you know, carefully craft their marketing around all aspects of the experience? And then when it comes to, you know, the music that people hear on hold, it's just kind of like whatever comes canned with the system or let Bob who's running the call center just pick something out. These are also important parts of the customer experience. So just absolutely fascinating. And and I would encourage people to, to make all of it more deliberative, to really think about their customer's experience from all of the senses and see if there's advantages to be had there. Yeah, and let me build on that. I totally, totally agree. The the whole bit about it being deliberate is is so key. The danger is, as I started this um, podcast, is that people don't really think about it, which is why I was keen to get Simon on. I think the fascinating bit for me is, again, and this is my obsession with memory, is how it links to memory. Two examples I would give. One is, I'm sure like everybody else, I can play a song and I can remember what holiday I was on or what vacation I was on, and that was the holiday song or the vacation song. And my whole family, I'm sure, same with everybody else, is like that. You know, we can play uh, a fine line by Hootie and the Blowfish and everyone will talk about the holiday that we had in um, Florida a number of years ago now. That's amazing. I'm not sure even Hootie and the Blowfish remember that song at this point. <laughs> they probably don't, actually. Yeah. The sad part was, was, was this was literally 15 years ago, and we, we actually printed out the lyrics so we could all sing it in the, in the car as we were driving along. That's well, actually, actually very sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Dedication for you. From a smell perspective, we used to go a lot on vacation when the kids were young. We used to go a lot on vacation to, to the States. And because we don't actually have much air conditioning in in the UK, whenever they now go into air conditioning, they go, the smell of air conditioning reminds me of America. (laughs) Yeah, because it's just got that that smell around it. So I think this is a really, really underestimated, underexplored area, which is why I was so uh, keen to get get Simon on board. So Simon, thank you very much for this. It's been fascinating. Definitely could have talked for longer on this. If people want to get hold of you, how do they best get hold of you? Well, thank you for letting me share what I've managed been able to share with you. It's been a pleasure. So, yeah, if people would like to to get in contact, they can either visit our website at www.equalstrategy.com. Otherwise, please contact me through LinkedIn and Simon Forfield at Equal Strategy. And we'll put those both of those links in the show notes. So if you're listening to this and um, haven't got a pen, then just go to the show notes and you can click on the link and that will take you through to Simon's contact details. So thanks very much, uh, everybody. I'm just about to go and play It's a Fine Line on Spotify and um, <laughs> go into some air conditioning. I think that will that'll give me a bit of uh, a memory of some good holidays. All right. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you next week. Cheers. Just as a reminder, please could you complete a review of the show and that would really help us. Thanks very much. This has been the Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. 
That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.